is the curtain that set apart God's place where he was said to dwell in the temple from where everyday men entered. Because they believe, rightly, that if, you, if a sinful human entered into the presence of a fully holy God, you would be struck down. Um, and this holy of holies area goes all the way back to the tabernacle right, in the Old Testament before the temple. And in the tabernacle, it was the place where uh, the Ark of the Covenant was kept uh, as the symbol um, of God, God's, or God's throne. God is said to sit on the throne of the Ark. Um, now, we don't know today where the Ark is unless you uh, believe in being a general. Um, and then it's in some warehouse somewhere tucked away. Uh, but we don't know, uh, and most likely by the time of Jesus' time, the Ark was long gone by this time. Personally, think it probably was uh, destroyed in the whole Babylonian captivity thing, uh, but I don't know that. But regardless, in their temple, they still had this area that was set aside as the most holy place for worship. And the only person that would enter this this place uh, was the high priest, and he would go in only once a year, and that was after doing all of his sacrifices, all of his ceremonial things, cleansing, all of this stuff. took this, this area so seriously and they knew it was a reality that if this man, this high priest went in and was sinful before God and was found guilty and done everything he needed to do to try to cleanse himself that he would be stricken down. But then you have the problem with, alright, well now who goes in after him? Because we don't just want to pile a body together. So they figured out what they would do is they would tie a bell to his as long as they heard the bell ring, they knew he was still alive. They'd also tie a rope to his leg. If the bell stopped ringing, they would yank it and pull it out. This is how seriously they took this area. And this, this, this veil was a very, very tall thing. It's like a wall, okay? When Jesus is hanging on the cross, God takes it. God's saying, hey, this whole separation between you and me, gone. Stripped of him. No longer do you need the priests. No longer do you need the temples. No longer do you need the old sacrificial system. Because Jesus has paid it all. He's taking care of it on the cross. Jesus is handling it right now. And so, right now, this is the end of that old system. This is the end of all those people ask Christians, like, you, you believe in the Bible, why don't you do everything the Bible says? It talks about all this sacrifice and ghosts and all this kind of stuff. And our answer is, yes, we believe that, and that's completely necessary if it weren't for the fact that Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all of that. He took care of all of that. That is done. That is gone. That is no more. That is not needed anymore. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and God is speaking in a way that only He can. He is telling the Flashing the lights at you. I'm shaking the ground beneath your feet. I've got dead people walking around. I'm ripping the temple veil apart. Here's your sign. This is something that you need to be paying attention to. You need to 
who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This guy, Joseph, was interested in Jesus. He was interested in following Jesus. And yet he was a part of the group that decided to put Jesus to death. But he wasn't a part of that. He stepped back from that. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen straw and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been seen yet laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath began. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and Sabbath they rested according to commandment. So we have this guy Joseph. And uh, over in John, uh, another gospel, uh, we have uh, included the fact that a guy named Nicodemus um, came alongside his friend Joseph, and the two of them worked together on this. Uh, Joseph was the one that went uh, for the body, uh, but Nicodemus helped him in wrapping it and that kind of thing. Well, where, where else do we see Nicodemus? We see, we see Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night wanting to know more about what it is that Jesus is teaching. And because Nicodemus, just like uh, this Joseph, uh, was a part of this Jewish ruling group, he was a part of the council, he was a part of their the key figures in their religion. And Nicodemus, in his conversation with Jesus, Jesus tells him this. He says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish everlasting life. And so, from that moment on, we really have a clear picture of what Jesus is here for. He's here out of God's love for the world so that man can be saved. So that man can be Jesus. So you have these two guys that were part of the ruling council who stepped back from the council when they're making decisions to put Jesus to death. Take Jesus' body and they put it in a tomb. A lot of times I feel like we kind of skip over the whole burial part of this. Because, like, the key parts are like he died on the cross and then they're about to get to there's an empty tomb. Let's think about for a minute that tomb and what, what happened there in that place. Um, some of the commentators I was reading this pointed out the fact that where you're Joseph was from, he would not have purchased this tomb for himself. There would have been no reason for that. He would have had a tomb for himself close to where he lived. So it's thought, most likely, he bought this tomb specifically for this purpose. Specifically for Jesus, for a place to put Jesus. Now when Joseph goes and asks for permission to bury Jesus' body, that's a big deal. Because See, at this time, whenever a criminal was crucified, whenever a criminal was put to death, what happened to their body was their body was thrown in the, in the dump. They weren't awarded the privileges of a, a burial. They weren't awarded the privileges of being honored for their work. Their body was just disposed of. And yet Joseph, here he goes and he asks for the body. And he's granted. 
trying to figure out how to prepare spices, how to prepare ointments so that they can they can anoint Jesus' body properly for burial. But the next day is the Sabbath, and so they honor the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And this was the Passover Sabbath, so um, for the Jewish people, an extra kind of holy day that was set aside for rest. And so nobody was doing anything anymore. And for the Christians, this is really the last Sabbath in the tree of Christmas. Because after this, after Jesus raises again on the next day, on the first day of the week, the Christians since then have chosen to say, hey, the day on which we worship is, a, is the day on which our Savior was risen from the dead. So we worship on Sunday. disciples who should remember this great truth? Those closest to Jesus, really. They 
to be counting on this. Jesus told us this was going to happen. And yet, even when the lady tells it, they say, we don't believe you. You're full of it. You know how dead you get on a cross? Like, you get all the way dead. And there's a crazy theory out there that people found out that well, when Jesus' body was laid in a cold tomb because it was cold, that revived him. Disciples are like, you're all the way dead on the cross, okay? Like, Jesus is all the way dead. Like, there's no way. But Peter being Peter, and in John's account, he includes the fact that he went with Peter. They run to the tomb. They find him. They believe. They believe that Jesus has been risen from the dead. This is great. So I want to ask us today,
anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved uh, by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.
Thank you.